you've found the Digging Oak Island podcast, a podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm David Bride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. Don't forget, you can help out the show by leaving us a five-star rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, subscribe to us so you don't miss any shows. And I also invite you to join us on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow the show at Digging Oak Island. Today, we're going to continue our series of podcasts, which we started last summer on the history of the dig. Now, just so you guys know, I did receive a couple of emails during this week uh, since the last uh, podcast we released, and I'm going to answer them, but I just want to hold off on that for just a couple of weeks until I can devote as much time as possible to those answers. So if you sent an email, just hang on. Promise I'll get to it soon. Stay subscribed. And if you have any questions about Oak Island or comments you'd like me to discuss in a future podcast, feel free to send them along to diggingoakisland at gmail.com. Now, on to today's topic. Before Season 7 of The Curse of Oak Island debuted back in the fall of 2019, like I said, we focused much of our time here examining the history of the dig, so to speak, diving deep into sort of different spots along the Money Pit's timeline and telling the story of each group of searchers who took their shot at the treasure. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off last year and talk about a group known as the Oak Island Association. Now, if you didn't last, listen last year and you want to catch up, it's easy enough. You can listen to my September 11th, 2019 podcast called The Discovery of the Money Pit, and then also the October 2nd, 2019 podcast on the Onslow Company, uh, and finally one on October 15th, which discussed the Truro Company, which is where we left off. Now, just in case you don't want to go back and listen or you don't have the time to do, you know, to listen to all that. I totally understand. So let's get you up to speed with the nickel version of what has happened on Oak Island so far. In 1795, Daniel McGinnis, Anthony Vaughn, John Smith row over to Oak Island. There's no causeway, so they had a, needed a boat to get there. While walking around on the island doing whatever it was they're doing, <laughs> they discover a depression in the ground that soon comes to be called the Money Pit. Now, remember, this is the nickel version. I'm leaving a lot out for sure, so don't, don't, don't get mad. Uh, the three of them dig down into this pit, hitting a layer of what we call like flagstones at about two feet deep, and then subsequently layers of what they describe as Oak Island platforms every 10 feet down to a depth of 30 feet, at which point I would imagine they probably looked up and realized the danger they were in by digging that deep with nothing but hand shovels and how difficult a task this would actually become if they had to go much further down. So with that in mind, the three discoverers spend the next few years putting together a group of investors, workers, and digging experts to uh, help them try and get to the bottom of this, literally and figuratively. Uh, the organization they created was called the Onslow Company, and this company began work in 1804. The Onslow Company, the first formal group of searchers on Oak Island, dug their way down past that 30-foot level the three original discoverers stopped digging. Uh, and as they continued further down, they discover many strange, kind of seemingly out-of-place things like coconut fiber, charcoal, and some unknown kind of like putty sealant substance, or at least that's what they described it as and concluded it was. They soon came across the famous 90-foot stone. After which, the shaft they just spent ages digging filled with water, which eventually caused their search to end. About four decades later, Daniel McGinnis had since passed on, but Anthony Vaughn and John Smith still wanted to try and get to the bottom of this mystery. Again, pun intended. 
two helped put together the next group of searchers called the Truro Company, which began work on Oak Island around 1849 or so. In their approximately three years of searching for the treasure, the Truro Company discovered the water in the money pit was, in fact, ocean water. In the search for the source of the ocean water, they were also the first to document the artificial beach at Smith's Cove and were then the initial folks to theorize this whole booby trap flood tunnel system leading from Smith's Cove to the money pit. There's other things that they also discovered down there. We'll get to that a little later. What they didn't find was a treasure. (laughs) So in 1851, with their funding exhausted, the Truro Company ended their search, none the richer for the work when they began. It would be 10 years before the next attempt to find the Oak Island treasure would be made. The Oak Island Association was officially formed in 1861. However, between the time the Truro Company ceased their work on the island and the formation of this new association, some pretty significant things had changed with regards to the hunt for treasure on Oak Island. For one thing, none of the three original discoverers of the Money Pit were still alive to take part in the hunt. Daniel McGinnis had died back in the 1820s, while Anthony Vaughn died just recently in 1860. With John Smith's death in 1857, his two sons sold the Smith property on the island, along with some property holdings they had in neighboring Frog Island, to a man named Henry Stevens, who then, strangely, turned around and sold it to a local farmer named Anthony Graves. Now, I say strangely because from what I can gather about this real estate transaction, it appears that only weeks after his purchase of Smith's land, that Stevens then sold the property off to Graves for no more than he originally paid for it, no profit. It's a weird and unexplained footnote in this story. Not sure what it's all about, honestly, and official records from this era are, well, sketchy to say the least. (laughs) There are plenty of legends Uh, in Nova Scotia that involve Anthony Graves, his time living on Oak Island, and old Spanish coins, you know, the kinds of things one would find in a pirate's treasure chest. But be that as it may, it really does seem as though Graves was much more interested in farming on his new property rather than searching for any buried treasure. He did, however, agree to lease his land, which included the money pit, to this newly formed Oak Island Association in return for a cut of any treasure these guys might find. Win-win for Graves. So while the treasure hunters did their thing, Graves and his family carried on with essentially just farming. Now, despite his ominous name of Graves and the many stories surrounding him about Spanish coins and that kind of thing, it does appear that Anthony Graves was not really all that interested um, in any of this. and wasn't really a very interesting character in the story. He was just a farmer who happened to purchase land that just might contain Captain Kidd's treasure. And I understand, it seems weird, but that really does appear to be the story here with regards to graves. Another big difference from past hunts is it appears the Oak Island legend seems to have become popular and kind of well-known by this point. That famous Liverpool transcript article, if you go back and listen to the discovery, you'll see what I'm talking about there. That article was was kind of the most in-depth description of the history of the hunt published up until then, but it wasn't printed until 1862. Um, that's kind of the first one that everybody really knows about, but without getting too far into it, that really wasn't the first time a newspaper had mentioned Oak Island or the hunt for treasure. In fact, the first mention of of the hunt in the transcript itself comes all the way back in 1857, which is also the same year that a geologist in Nova Scotia named Henry Poole, who was working for the government, I guess, mentioned the legendary treasure hunt in a report, which 
then I guess you can say puts it in the public record for what seems to be the first time. But again, records are a difficult thing to rely on at this point here. Uh, I'll say this, there is a decent amount of evidence to suggest the greater public in Nova Scotia and beyond was at this point at least somewhat aware of the mystery. Most likely, the artificial beach found at Smith's Cove by the Truro Company uh, was the driver in this sort of newfound notoriety. Also, bear in mind the Oak Island Association itself would certainly contribute to the legend's growing popularity. More on that in just a second. Two members of the Truro Company, Jotham B. McCulley and Adams Archibald Tupper, I love both of those names, were back on the island and joined a team of new treasure hunters, all convinced, like so many, they had the right gear, the right plan, the right brains to solve what they thought would be a simple puzzle. And before we get to this team, new team's story, let's just talk a bit more about our man here, McCulley. He truly does become one of the single most important people in the entire history of the search and someone whose importance really is what I would say, um, how do I put this, somewhat underappreciated by many historians. Jotham Blanchard McCulley was listed as the corporate secretary officially for the Oak Island Association and also officially as the manager and drilling engineer for the Truro Company. He was born in 1819 on the north bank of the Salmon River in a town called Bible Hill, Nova Scotia which is just about under like a hundred mile or so drive from Oak Island. He's often listed in historical records as being from the nearby town of Truro, which is on the opposite bank of the Salmon River. That's probably just where he lived or something along those lines. From what I can glean from the records, it appears as though he became associated with the Oak Island treasure hunt through a neighbor of his named Simeon Linz, who was a major sort of money man for the Truro company. Now, like I said, McCulley is often referred to as a drilling engineer, something of a mining expert, I guess. Um, his role with the Truro Company can be described as sort of a director of operations, like a foreman, I suppose. Uh, but perhaps his most important and most famous contribution to the entire story of the Oak Island treasure hunt was as the author of that aforementioned Liverpool Transcript article. It was his letter sent to a reporter at the Transcript and subsequently published in its entirety, by the way, that truly gave the Oak Island treasure hunt its international fame. Now, it's important to note that many treasure hunters, including those hunting on Oak Island, by the way, before the Oak Island Association's arrival, often want to try their best to keep things sort of on the down low, you know? Uh, it makes sense, right? I mean, if you're well and truly, um, if you well and truly believe that there's a huge pirate treasure beyond your wildest dreams, only a few more feet down this hole you've just spent years and years digging, you certainly don't want the whole world to know about it, at least not until you have it sort of safe and secured. Uh, that only serves to invite thieves and other such folks, wouldn't you think? I mean, generally, you don't want anyone to know about it until after you find the treasure. So why then, you might ask, would McCulley and his comrades decide to buck such a time-honored treasure hunter tradition and let the entire world know about their work? The answer to that question might just be found right in the Liverpool transcript article itself. Towards the beginning of the letter, he writes, quote, Having been ridiculed both by the press and uninformed portion of the public, embarking in so foolish an enterprise as the Oak Island diggins. There you go, where I got the digging part from. Uh, we propose giving the public something in the shape of a reason for our great faith in that enterprise. And then he's sort of closing out the letter. He adds, um, quote, Now I leave the matter to a discerning public to say whether we are the fools some people take us to be and endeavoring to set the question forever at rest. But I suppose the public will judge of it by the success we meet with. 
Should we be successful in getting a large amount of treasure, we will be considered a very sensible lot of fellows. And if we should fail in finishing the work, we will be set down as a set of phantom following fools. Great alliteration. Fit for nothing but to be held up to public ridicule. So I think what we can kind of safely conclude here is that not only did the legend of Oak Island grow by 1862, but also so had healthy skepticism of it. And being called phantom following fools by quote, both the press and uninformed portion of the public, can't be good for business, meaning if you're trying to nail down investors and sell shares, that can't be an easy sales pitch if the press and public think this is all a foolish enterprise. So it would seem McCulley was forced into publicly defending his team's work and forced to answer the vocal skeptics. But at the same time, he was also raising the profile and popularity of the treasure hunt far beyond Nova Scotia. My guess is this might not have been Macaulay's first choice, but in the end, it was his only choice. Now, like I said, the Oak Island Association was officially formed on April 3rd of 1861, with the first tasks being to you know, sell shares and hire laborers to do the dirty work. Uh, soon after, they would land on Oak Island, um, and then they would begin with what was their sort of initial project, which was to bail out and reinforce the money pit shaft, which had been sitting uh, filled in for the last, you know, almost 10 years or so. Now, keep in mind, at this point, the money pit location is still very well known. In fact, it seems the Truro Company didn't do a very good job at all of filling it back in. And what they did fill in, it seems, might have caved in quite a bit, too. So it was pretty obvious where to start digging. Uh, they were able to reopen the original shaft and remove the water down to a depth of 88 feet, where it seems a hefty layer of mud and clay kept the water from flooding back in. Now, keep this in mind. Keep this in the back of your head as we progress along with this story. They began their work in 1861 with an open and essentially dry money pit. It won't stay that way for very long. The association then began two large-scale projects that would sound very familiar to anyone studying the history of the Money Pit dig. The first was to dig a new shaft about 25 feet to the east of the Money Pit, heading towards Smith's Cove. This was in an attempt to sort of intercept the flood tunnels and then block them off. After they dug down all the way to about 120 feet, they gave up, concluding that they must have just missed the booby trap tunnel. Now, instead of continuing with that idea and just trying a different location to intercept the tunnel and then stop the flooding, the association instead attempted yet another all-too-familiar idea. They dug a new shaft, this one located 18 feet to the west of the money pit, the opposite side from Smith's Cove. They were trying to get to the supposed treasure vault and were assuming the flood tunnels wouldn't be over on this side of the money pit. At 118 feet down... They started tunneling horizontally towards the money pit, towards where the previous searchers felt the treasure vault was located. Now, I'm telling you guys, when you read this stuff, it really does start to feel like Charlie Brown, Lucy, and the football. So apparently these guys actually reached the money pit this time, though, and then drove right through it. And you guessed it, water started gushing in. But the headache wasn't over yet for the Oak Island Association. This new breach they created down there also caused the mud and clay at the bottom of the money pit, remember the stuff supposedly keeping the flooding out, well, that all soon collapsed into the new shaft, and then lo and behold, breaking the seal, so to speak, which meant the money pit was also now once again filled with thousands and thousands of gallons of ocean water. Good grief. 
This failure was inevitably followed by an unsuccessful three days of some poor draft horse walking around and around in circles trying to uh, power up a pumping gin uh, in an attempt to bail all this water out of the shafts. After that idea didn't work, though, George Mitchell, who was called uh, the superintendent of the group, I think, but was like, you know, which is kind of like a project manager, really, um, he then began this massive pumping operation, employing 63 men and 33 horses working around the clock raising and lowering four 70-gallon casks out of the money pit and both of these new shafts, too, uh, taking the water out. Now, it almost worked, actually. They drained the shafts down to below the 80-foot level, but then struggled with this soft clay and mud, which was now invading from these horizontal tunnels, blocking off their path to the treasure vault. Now, at this point, I think the best thing to do is to turn this all over to our esteemed friend, Mr. McCulley, who writes the following in the Liverpool transcript. Quote, We sent two men down to clear it out. After they had gone about halfway through, they heard a tremendous crash in the money pit and barely escaped being caught by a rush of mud, which followed them into the west pit and filled it up seven feet in less than three minutes. The bailing continued until 3 o'clock p.m. of Saturday when, on clearing the tunnel again, another crash was heard in the money pit which we supposed to be the upper platform falling, and immediately the bottom of the money pit fell in to about 102 feet, measuring from the level of the ground at the top. It had been cleared out previously down 88 feet. Immediately after the cribbing of the money pit, commencing at the bottom, fell in plank after plank until there was only about 30 feet of upper cribbing left. On Monday, the top fell in, leaving the old money pit a complete mass of ruins. So do not pile on these poor fellows, <laughs> but let's think about it for a second. In less than one summer, the men of the Oak Island Association had all but destroyed the work of everyone who came before them. All the digging, all the reinforcing, all that work, everything. Here's how Randall Sullivan describes it, in the in it describes this entire incident in his book, The Curse of Oak Island. Talking about Macaulay, Sullivan says, quote, he hurried back to the money pit only to discover the water in it was boiling like a volcano. The bottom had literally fallen out of the pit, pulling down with it all of the cribbing and tools in the original shaft, along with tons of mud that flowed into the new tunnel. Sullivan then writes, quote, This would prove to be the greatest disaster in the history of Oak Island not involving the loss of life, leaving the money pit an all but impenetrable jumble of mud, lumber, and equipment. The treasure, if there was one, was believed to have fallen either into a tunnel or deeper into the pit, end quote. But all wasn't a disaster for McCulley, ever the believer and optimist, I suppose. During the aftermath of the collapse, he seems to have found some evidence worth mentioning. Uh, he writes, quote, In the meantime, a stick of oak timber of considerable girth and three and a half feet in length was ejected with the mud all of which was soon cut up and made into walking canes, one of which I have the pleasure of sending to you. Now, you have to hand it to old Jotham in the midst of uh, describing the biggest logistical disaster <laughs> in the history of the uh, dig, you know, it, even now in the history of the dig, a disaster searchers are still struggling with to this day. Uh, Macaulay still manages to find some solace in making a few nice walking sticks for himself, his friends, and can only assume some potential investors as well. Keeping the wood as evidence for why his dig is necessary in the first place, I guess, never occurred to him. 
This great piece of evidence suggesting that something extraordinary happened deep underground long ago was, I guess, not as important as having a few nice canes to make you look a little more dapper. I guess this is like sticking the 90-foot stone in your fireplace, right? Uh, These guys had a weird way, to say the least, of preserving evidence. (laughs) But the Oak Island Association was not done yet wreaking havoc on Oak Island in 1861. In an attempt to more easily and more quickly drain the water from various shafts they had flooded, the association purchased a newfangled steam-powered pump. Not long after they got it going, the boiler burst, killing one of the crew. This was the first man to lose his life in the search of the Oak Island treasure, and as you know, he certainly won't be the last. We also don't actually know his name, sadly. Uh, Now, there are a couple of reasons for that. One, apparently the local government didn't start keeping death records of any sort uh, for another couple of years or so. But also, for some reason, none good if I'm honest, uh, McCulley and the rest of the Oak Island Association brass never bothered to mention the man's death at all in the official records of the accident. They mentioned the accident happening, but every time they managed to just leave out the fatality associated with it. The accident, which likely took place somewhere in early October of 1861, was, thankfully, the end of operations on Oak Island for that year. In the spring of 1862, the Oak Island Association was back on Oak Island. And from what I've seen in more than one source, amazingly, when you uh, bear in mind what the previous year looked like, (laughs) so was much of their same crew of workers. The first project on the agenda was to sink a new shaft down to 107 feet and then connect it to the money pit. This was to serve as a drainage shaft used in conjunction with the steam pump, which apparently they either got a new one or they figured out how to make the old one work safely. Um, They managed to get the money pit drained down to just over 100 feet, uh, enabling them to sort of re-crib the money pit shaft. And while doing this, they reportedly found some tools and other evidence of the Truro Company and the Onslow Company, their work they those guys did, which I guess means they didn't destroy everything the previous year. But uh, it soon becomes apparent this new pump couldn't keep up with the inflow of water, and the effort was abandoned. The project apparently was just about the bulk of the work done in that summer of 1862. It was big, but didn't really get very far. Um, They did, however, also make in that time period another attempt or two at digging uh, a shaft to the east of the money pit to try to find and cut off the flooding, just like many have done and they did before, but they, again, to no avail. The following year, with money getting scarce, the association turned its attention to Smith's Cove. Now, this is another idea we're going to see a lot over the history of the search. Digging 100-plus foot shafts can be expensive, it can be dangerous, time-consuming. So when the going gets rough or (laughs) too expensive, many searchers then turn their sights to finding the box drains or uncovering maybe more of the secrets that uh, are are under the water in Smith's Coves. Sound familiar, folks? Um, The best the association could afford to do for this project this year was to try and dig out the tops of the finger drains during low tide working under the assumption that the original depositors must have only been able to install the drains as far out as the tide would let them. So that's what they did. They dug out more than 30 feet of the drains and then plugged them full of clay and mud to try and seal off any water flowing inland through the tunnels. It apparently made some difference in the money pit, but not a big enough difference to help them all that much. And then soon, uh, these seals that they made, uh, these this bits of clay and mud they jammed into the drains, these seals broke and the project was abandoned as the money pit, once again, filled with ocean water. Later that year, they tried something new. 
From what I can gleam here, they wanted to intersect the flooding system and better drain the money pit all with one new shaft. Now, I'm not sure this was really the plan from the beginning, but be that as it may, they started digging a new shaft about 100 feet, so- 100 feet southeast of the money pit. Um, didn't work on either end, so uh, that was abandoned. Now, for a while, um, work stopped in 1863 as the funding really did dry up. Uh, But the association apparently convinced some new investors to contribute or maybe some old ones to put in some more. And they went back to work later that summer. This time they tried the rather inventive idea of digging what they described as a circular tunnel around the money pit. Basically digging around the entire circumference of the supposed treasure vault in the money pit. But every time they got down to 110 feet or so, they were flooded out and the progress was halted. This is an interesting project and a good idea, if I'm honest. I'm not sure what conclusions I can draw from its failure, but I can't help but thinking somebody probably should have done this earlier, you know, before the collapse of the money pit. Uh, if there really ever was a dry way into the treasure vault, a way to bypass the flooding, this probably would have found it. But that's only true <laughs> before the entire area was destroyed and whatever down there forced into some unknown depths or, you know, by collapsing debris. Now, money is getting really scarce at this stage for the Oak Island Association, especially considering that they had been digging for three years with nothing to show for it but death and disaster, if I'm honest. Nonetheless, they're back to work in 1864. Tried a number of different things with no success, but apparently sometime during that summer, they did finally find what they concluded was the spot where the flood tunnels entered the money pit. Digging around 110 feet, they found what they thought was the end of the booby trap tunnel, which consisted of a strong flow of relatively clear ocean water. Now, to confirm this, what they did was they muddied up the intakes they had previously dug up in Smith's Cove. They kind of stuffed it with mud and dirt and all that. Uh, And then they found that the water in the money pit coming out of this tunnel was quickly turning dirty as they were doing this. So that sort of was the confirmation they needed. This had to be exciting for this group of searchers who for years had endured so much disappointment and heartache. Source of the flooding was, and still is, considered the key to solving the problem. The problem was, though, even though they found the the source of the booby trap here, every attempt they made to stop the water from actually flooding into the money pit failed. The other problem was that the seawater coming in was quickly eroding away at the stability of the shafts, and the workers were getting increasingly worried and concerned about their safety down there. Apparently, a couple of mining engineers were also brought in to inspect all this, and they declared the scene to be, uh, you know, (laughs) something of an unstable and unsafe ticking time bomb. Soon the money was gone. The Oak Island Association was broke and could not afford to fix all of this. The company was dissolved and work ended. This discovery of the flood tunnel seemed to be the thing that filled these guys with hope. Like so many that would come to Oak Island in the future and leave empty-handed, These guys were convinced they were close, oh, so close to getting at the treasure. Some of these men would actually be back on the island for another try, you know, in the future. But that's another story for another day. It's hard not to look back on the era of the Oak Island Association without a healthy portion of that same ridicule Mr. McCulley was so determined to prove wrong. They managed to find the flood tunnel, but 150 years later, and the flooding is still the main problem for searchers. So how big an accomplishment was that really? 
They also found some old wood, which for various reasons they concluded had to be pre-searcher in origin. But this was an era before any scientific dating was available to them. Plus, they either discarded it or whittled it into cute walking sticks, so no one in subsequent years could even go back and date it either. And then there is the irrefutable damage the Oak Island Association did to the money pit and the future of the treasure hunt. Not just for them, for each and every treasure hunter to come after them, right up to and including the Laginas and the current crew we're watching now. Let me put it this way. Before the association, there was a real target to aim for. I'll explain. In 1804, the Onslow Company removed the 90-foot stone and then used a metal rod to find what they concluded was another wood platform down at 98 feet. And then, you know, a few decades later, in 1850, the Truro Company tried to explore that very same area. Now, remember, the flooding was the main issue here. So what they did was they set up a drill platform and drilled a series of kind of small exploratory holes into the target zone to see what might be there. Here is what McCulley, remember the same McCulley, he was working for the Truro Company back then. Here is what McCulley writes about that particular exploration. The second hole we bored struck the platform, which the old diggers told us about. Precisely at the depth, they told us they had struck it with a crowbar, 98 feet. It proved to be spruce, six inches thick. After the auger went through it, dropped one foot, struck wood again, which was oak, four inches thick. Then 20 inches of metal in small pieces, which we knew from the sound and from the fact that the auger would go through by simply turning it. Then eight inches of oak, then 20 inches of metal, then four inches of oak, six inches of spruce, and then seven feet worked clay, then hard clay, which had never been disturbed. Another of the five holes struck the platform at the same depth, 98 feet. After going through, the auger dropped a little more than it did the first hole and struck a cask, which was evident from our bringing up a piece of an oak stave and some pieces of birch hoops. We also brought three small links, which had apparently been forced from an epaulette. They were gold. So this spot, 110, 100 feet so, you know, that area, just past the 98-foot area, down in the money pit, was what we were looking for. This was it. This is where we needed to get. This is what we needed to see. But after the collapse of the money pit, the target was now gone, forever wiped out. And whatever was down there was now pushed you know, down God knows how far. And, and also now covered not only by earth and a flood of ocean water, but also by thousands and thousands of pounds of wood and dirt and tools. Think about that every time the Lagina is put down a hammer grab and it comes up filled with crushed up wood shards. And keep in mind, if there ever was a vault, the depositors did indeed build a way to protect whatever it was they were burying from the flooding. That protection unless it was built to withstand thousands of pounds of wood, dirt, and tools crashing on top of it, was likely now smashed to pieces. So if you're one of these theorists who think that the money pit was built to help hide precious religious relics or controversial history-changing documents, well, I think you know where I'm going here. The likelihood of any of that surviving intact is incredibly low. Also keep in mind, whatever the original depositors did down there, whatever amazing engineering project they created had also most likely been destroyed. So getting the full truth of who did it and how they pulled it all off now does seem pretty close to impossible, even if we find what we're looking for here. And think of this. 
Would this treasure hunt still be going on a century and a half later, if not for the Oak Island Association? If workers were able to hit whatever that was at 118 feet, uh, well, ifs and maybes, that's Oak Island for you. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. Please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you do enjoy the show, I ask you, please, please, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to the show. It helps get the word out on us. The more listeners, the better. You can also follow us on Facebook. We're at Digging Oak Island. Uh, same for Twitter, at Digging Oak Island. Give us a like or a follow there. It would be much appreciated. And like I mentioned before, if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, do so via email at diggingoakisland at gmail.com. And just keep in mind, if you don't want me to read it on the air, let me know. Because if you don't let me know, it's free game for me to discuss right here on a future podcast. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to the Digging Oak Island podcast. <laughs>